Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. How is everybody doing today? Eric Hayes is in the house. Lee Grant is in the house. Bridge MCP is in the house. Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain is in the house. AV Cube is in the house. How are you doing, Michael Rudnan? Uh, not feeling so good. You're no, not, not feeling so good. You're tied up. You're tied up. You're tied up. Who am I missing? Did I miss anybody that was one of the early birds today? I don't think so. All right, folks, we're going to have a great show for you today. We have a special guest, Una Amiga Panamania, a friend of mine from Panama, who wrote a new book on fathers. That We're going to have that one played early on, and then we are going to move on into the subject at hand. Bridge says, Eric can't watch two shows at once. Use another link because I actually look at them. You know, Eric, how Eric, you know how Eric operates now. All right, let's see. Lee Grant says KJP should step down. Why should KJP step down again? And who's KJP again? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. These acronyms sometimes get to me. KJP. Who am I talking about? Who am I talking about? Don't know. Come on. Who's KJP? I can't think straight. I have a slight cold. All right. Let's see. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Uh, we have Michael says, LOL, Fox isn't news. It's GOP TV, a propaganda network for conservatives and the rest of the mainstream media should stop treating Fox seriously. I've been saying that, oh, the press secretary, why would I want her? To, I think she's one of the best. I think she's one of the best secretary, uh, secretaries, and that's why they hate her, because she doesn't fall for the crap. She's like my girl, um, uh, what, what's her name? The one that was that precedes, preceded her. KJP had to look up who the heck Eric Hayes talking about now. Karine Jean-Pierre, I love her. Use the full name as for... Biden not being popular with Democrats and whether they're running next year? Don't bother with that question until next year. I agree. For your information, Lauren Carbon Dioxide is still able to keep investing. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Jen Psaki. That's my girl. Jen Psaki. Love Jen Psaki. Now she has her own show on, on uh, MSNBC. All right. Let's go ahead and start the interview. You guys can keep talking and listening to the interview. And then we'll take it on the other side. Lo vamos a tomar en el otro lado. Ahora vamos a comenzar ahora. Welcome to Politics and Right. My name is Egberto Willis. Today, Olivia S. Benson has been a practicing attorney in Florida for more than 30 years. She's a graduate of the University of Miami Schools of Business and Law. Benson grew up in various religions, religious teachings, and eventually sought to find real answers to life's challenges. She visits with us today to discuss a prescient issue, the absence of fathers and what it means to daughters. Her new book, For the Love of My Father, explores women healing from the absence of fathers in their lives to help them move forward and lead successful lives. Olivia 
Benson. Welcome to Politics Done Right. One more time. How are you doing today? I am well. Thank you so much for having me again. As you just mentioned, this is my second time and I'm really appreciative, very grateful that you've given me this opportunity. Well, I I think um, I am grateful that you are offering what you are offering to the world in your new book for the love, for the love of my father. And you know what? Um, Let's get started this way. Why did you write the book? Wow. I um, I just answered this question, I think, on another interview yesterday. I wrote it because I wanted all the little girls like me and even the women and those women with that little girl inside to have something that they could look at from someone who's not writing as a psychologist or as a as a mental health professional or any other kind of professional somebody who is writing from what i call in my bones experience and behind the eyeballs experience i have walked this i have lived this and what i hope and i say it in the book is that somebody says to those little girls Daddy isn't here, but he loves you and he just can't do it right now because you and I both know um, the culture where the dad is not there. There's no question. He's not there. He is, for all practical purposes, an absent dad and for all practical purposes, a bad dad. But then what does mom do? She is going to speak badly of him from the morning until the night and say every negative thing that she's, she can say about him. And this child is going to listen to this and internalize it in a very negative way. And I would like to say to the women, I mean, obviously this happens in the opposite with men also, but I'm talking about being a little girl growing up without my father and living with my mother. And I would say, tell your daughters and tell your sons that daddy just doesn't know how right now, or daddy just can't do it right now. Because as frustrated as you might be by his absence and by the things that he's doing or not doing, when you are unable to communicate this to your children, your your daughter or your son, you're doing significant damage to them. Little words like it's not you, right? That's what we're saying. It's not you. It's just that daddy can't do it right now. And that would make a difference. Um, let, let, uh, let me go ahead and this, what you just said turns into a two part question. First of all, why is it that it always seems like the responsible party. I know it's not 100%, but why does it seem that the responsible party is always the mother? I don't want to get into the negative that she promotes on the dad yet, but what is it within? Is it a cultural thing? What makes it that the mothers always seem to step up? Well, first of all, And you clarified it's not always right, because Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we acknowledge all of those dads who are out there being mother and father as well. And there is an absent mother in those cases. So it's not always. But I mean, 
it's very, first of all, women bear, and there's a, there's a thing that I say in the book, I said it in the last book and in this one, women carry the babies, right? Nine months, bear the babies, and it is your child. It is the fruit of your womb. It's very difficult for you to separate yourself. It happens. Many women have abandoned children and done a number of different things for whatever their reasons might be. But it's very difficult for a woman to have a child and then just sort of let it go. Uh Man, it's a little bit easier because you deposit the sperm and in many cases have the ability or you have the emotional, emotional inability to connect. And therefore you're very easily able to walk away. But there's so many things tied up in the question that you're asking, because for example, there's a chapter in the book that's called things buried alive, never die. Uh And in that chapter, I talk about the legacy of the transatlantic slave trade. And what happened to men and women during this process of what I call breeding, right? So if you are your slave master saying to you, go in quotations, breed with this woman, right? Have babies. And then that's only no emotional connection to her. You just go do it. And then the baby's born, right? And the, the child is sold. So the, the, and this is a small example. This is not how everything went, but now this man, right. And this woman, the emotional ties that are normal between men and women and children are intentionally being broken. And this chapter, things buried alive, never die talks about the fact that much of this information and, you know, there, there obviously there's genetic information. There are things that are coded and uh, whether this can even be coded. There's lots of discussion about it. But we can see that there are issues that are being passed down, whether it's a social passing so that people just learn the behavior. Listen, I'm not going to get attached. I can be detached from my child. I can breed in quotations with as many women as I want and move along. So I don't think it's natural and normal for a man to just separate. But there are many factors which are usually hidden within the person, the male that we're talking about, that lead him to be disconnected, to be callous, to be uh, everything but able to connect with what I call the fruit of his loins. And it's a it's an issue. Actually, that is a very important observation because I, I tell you, when when people look at behaviors and the genesis of those behaviors, it is important to to figure out why and where did it come from? Why is it that in this particular cultural group, we have more of those incidents and in another particularly cultural group and we can uh, we can throw it onto socioeconomics and many other reasons. But I think you you brought an important facet when you talk about if that was the act of even just the act of saying you're a breeder in effect, you then behave that way. And I tell you, expanding on what you just said, if you take a look at how in many instances, the welfare state has treated the poor in general and noticing that the poor in general has exhibited that sort of behavior more often than others, irrespective of culture, et cetera, 
that brings a lot of credence to what you've just said. Now, continuing with when you mentioned about mothers and talking to their kids, important issue. But I tell you, in, when you said it, I kind of cringed a bit when you say when, when you gave sort of a, a directive to mothers as how they can damage their daughters by speaking ill will on their dads. It's, you know, and the reason I did that, right? I mean, the reason I think I cringed a little bit is that, again, women take on so much burden and it is another burden to have someone that is not performing. And in effect, for the sake of your kid, you have to stay mum and you internalize all the pain. How no. do you deal with that? No, 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 no. I'm not suggesting that you internalize the pain at all. Okay. In fact, you need to get that out. Okay. Just not with your children. Ah, gotcha. Just not. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. With your children. And let me tell you, because this is in the book also, by the way, I have a YouTube channel. It's Olivia S. Benson. Um, on YouTube and I talk about this because I did a, um, a one of the YouTubes about not burdening your children with mm-hmm. this issue. So you have the absolute right to speak about this person who has abandoned you, abandoned their children, left you with excessive responsibilities and pressures. It is a horrible situation and it happens every day. There's so many women that are going through this. Now, the important thing though, is that you want to protect your children. Mm -hmm. You want to protect what I call the essential self. They came in here as pure, pure light, pure human beings. And the the less you can burden them with, the more likely it is that they're able to succeed in life. If you're just going to talk badly about their dad and tell them what a horrible person, little kids think when you talk, it, I, I took a class when I was getting divorced and they said, do not speak badly about your child's par- uh, other parent because that child has no ability to separate from either parent. So when you talk about the mother, it's them. You talk about the father, it's them. And if you know this, then you should consider how you would put that into practice. It's not an absolute. And and my mother knows, and I I said she did it. She knows that I said she did it. It's not a, a secret, but let me tell you something. She told me what was happening. She told me what he did, what he didn't do, every single thing. And nothing she said changed my opinion or the way I felt about my father till the day he died. I loved him wildly. I still do. He was not a good father in any way, shape or form. And I still loved him despite despite what my mother said, despite, despite what everybody said. But it was a process because there was all this stuff that was said. So if you're a mom, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. Nothing that I suggest in the book, forgiveness of your dad, going through the process of figuring things out. Nothing is easy. That is not a word in here. However, 
if you want to be whole and if you want your children to be whole, then the question is, are you willing? Because in that very chapter that I mentioned, things buried alive, alive, never die. What I propose is that those things that were buried, let's say going back to the issue of breeding and slavery and bad habits and all this kind of stuff, those things basically, if they're not addressed, go underground, right? But it's still passed along. But the day that somebody wakes up and says, my God, this thing is coming generation to generation. And look how we're reproducing without paying attention to what messages are being sent down the line. If you don't address it, then it just keeps repeating and repeating. And what I say is that one person in the line, in the generational line that wakes up and says, oh, wait a second, apparently we're running on a program here that we don't realize, right? We're running on the breeder program and some people don't realize. And I say some people because there are many people who have healed from all of this and are living living perfectly healthy lives. People of African descent and other groups that have had trauma, Native Americans, not everybody is subject to this story. But if if you are experiencing this, the day that you wake up and say, I'm that person that's going to become aware of what's happening and I'm going to make the change for the future generations in this line then you can change it. Why did you love your dad irrespective of what? First of all, did you believe your mother? I believed, first of all, I saw, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did so you see? I saw his behavior. I saw the things that he did. I saw that he wasn't present. Um, there was a time where I talk about the fact that, that my dad avoided, and I don't want to tell the whole story because we don't have time, but he avoided me. I mean, there's a story in the book where I would go see him and he was even at school. I I read that. I saw, you know, he avoided me like the plague, but later on when, um, I was an adult, he told me, he said, I made a mistake. I was, let's say he used the word hurt. That's not the word he used, but I was, Uh, devastated or hurt by the fact that my relationship with your mother didn't work. And I ran away from her. And in running away from her, I didn't realize that I was running away from my children. He told me that to my face as an adult. No, but you said you, you always loved them though. From a I still, kid. I, 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 you know, I mean, first of all, you know, little girls love their dads. Right. That's just, uh, you know, that's how I felt like, oh, my God, my dad, you know, then he was uh, he was quite a character. He was very charismatic and, you know, um, in a very, you know, sort of Latinized kind of way, had, you know, had his way about him. And also, I thought that philosophically. He and I had the same kind of way of thinking about life. And so I could see, you know, I felt like my mother and my brother were, um, you know, kind of they kind of thought spirits. Yeah. Yeah. And now over here. But the sad part of it was that I felt that the two of them had their thing, but that I was more like him. But he had left me. So I didn't have anybody. Right. So uh, but. Even then, I just adored him. 
And that brings me to um, to the title of the book, which is For the Love of, love my, of my Father. Family. And the reason I titled it For the Love of My Father was because there was a time in my life where I thought that and was willing to do anything for the love of my father. You know, that was the thing as a little girl, if you want your dad to to love you, what are you willing to do for the love of your father. Mm -hmm. But through this process, I realized that sometimes things happen in life. And that's what I say in the book, things happen in life. And you think, you know, why is this happening to me and this and why this? And But ultimately, as I relate the story also in the book, um, where my son one day says he sees that I'm sad and he says to me, and I said, oh, I'm a little sad about, you know, thinking about my dad and things like that. And my son says to me, he's like 10. He says, mom, what if that was the way it was supposed to be? Mm, you said that at that age. Wow. At that age. I, I, and I, I don't know if you, you haven't seen it in the book, but I mean, I was walking along and then I was like, oh, and he said, what's the matter? And I, I just said, oh, just a little sad because I knew he could understand sad. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything else, just a little sad about my dad. He says, Mom, what if that was the way it was supposed to be? And I snapped right back into senses mm-hmm. because things happen. You you don't know why it's going to happen. Maybe this was my life experience. But, you know, and Olivia, now I from, have to accept it from, you know, as you know, I know you a long time from Panama, etc. And I'll tell you something. One would never looking at uh, the, the way you carried yourself and uh, etc. One would never believe uh, you were going through anything. Right. Uh, so explain to me, uh, it, it almost says that a, a, a lot of young women, a lot of women that have gone through these daddy issues, they've had some sort of a coping mechanism that allowed the rest of the world to see them completely differently, it, irrespective of, you know, the, the things that that's probably is going to show up in, in a relationship thereafter. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would have had an idea. No, I think most people have no idea of what I call the depth, depth of my, what I can only describe as pain and suffering. Like I grew up in absolute turmoil, pain and suffering between my mom and my dad and the family. I mean, it was chaos. Now, there are a couple of things that were very, very helpful. One is that my mother is because she's still alive um an amazing person and she was an absolutely devoted mother that doesn't mean she didn't have her whole bag of issues but she was a devoted mother and you know she was big on education and a number of different things and she sort of stayed the course with me so that helped the other thing that helped and this is why I I take I do the writing from sort of a spiritual perspective, because when you go through so much in life, eventually it comes to a place where you need real answers. You know, not what the psychologist says. I mean, like, God, why is this this way? You need answers from what I call from Jeff's God, energy, force, spirit, whatever you want to call it. But you need that. And from a very young age, because I think it says it if it doesn't say it on this book, it says it on the last one that I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. 
So I was a Jehovah's Witness in a Catholic school, um, going to some Baptist churches, went to a essentially a, a Baptist high school here in the United States. So that's why I use the reference to churchify, right? So, I mean, despite all the chaos, I had great faith. And that sort of keeps you moving, you know, the challenges and the issues are still underneath and they still need to be addressed and they still need to be healed. But I had faith and I had a mother who was present and did the things that she knew best at that particular time. So for those young ladies who are watching and wondering, the, the, the only key that I can give you is that. Finding God, your connection to God, your relationship to God and developing that because you're not here for what I call unending suffering. I mean, like what creator of the universe creates everybody to suffer eternally? There's got if you came in and you have this issue or any other issue, the question is, how can I overcome it? What is the the means that I can use to overcome it? And if you have the desire, because you really do, even when I talk about forgiveness, I mean, you really have to want to heal yourself, to be willing to figure out how can I forgive? How can I uh, overcome these challenges? And how can I, so so to speak, lighten my burden so that I can then move in the world as a whole human being, as a whole woman, and bring whatever it is that I have to offer to the world and make sure that my children don't follow in this line with the issues that are being passed down generationally. That's, that's what I say. Why should an adult woman who's gone through some of your tribulations read your book? Oh, wow. Well, again, you're talking about somebody who has walked in these shoes, right? In my bones experience, And so many stories that are in the book of things that actually happen that are just like, even when I read them, I'm like, I can't believe this. Um, So you're not talking about somebody who's telling you about something that they heard or that they learned. You're talking to somebody who's walked it and not just walked it for a little bit, because, you know, you're talking, you know, childhood, 30, 40 years of experience getting through it. So you want to hear this from somebody who knows you also have to come to the place. And if you're not there, it's fine. Whenever you're ready, you know, you're ready. But you come to the place where you sort of are exhausted. You don't really know what the problem is, because I think you asked this question a little bit earlier. Humans are we are so adaptable, right, that you come in and you find yourself in this situation and you just keep moving. You know, even though the, the, the circumstance is is challenging and in some cases awful, you just do the best you can, because what are you going to do? You can't sit down and cry. You have to keep moving. So even when you know me, when I was much younger, I mean, I didn't know what was really happening to me, so to speak. I just knew that, you know, my dad wasn't there. My mom was there. I didn't really have an extended family, but I had enough that I could 
keep living and keep moving as best I could. And so that's what I did. So if you're a woman and now, you know, you've, let's say you've done okay. Let's say you are working and maybe you have some kids and, you know, but you're still not quite sure. This is the book that you need to read to see how you can put this all together and how you can make it even better. Because one of the things that I say in the book is that this is a good time for women. Things are changing. Um, tables are opening up. You can have an opportunity to go farther than women have ever gone before. And in order to do that, many of us have to clean up some baggage. Go figure out what's what I call, and, and you probably saw it, below deck. You empty what all the baggage that you're carrying that you've been carrying for a long time that's below deck. And then once you empty that, then your ship is is light and you are a light and you can do all the things that, you know, you were intended to do without being weighed down by your past experiences, having to do with the absence of your father or any other significant experience that you've had. Olivia, let me, let me tell you, I, I want to put, I want to, I, you know, I don't do these shows, you know, pushing books, but I think this is a book to push. And let me tell you what, what is the, the reasons that I, that I see in, in, as well as what you've just said, but the fact that you've gone through life in a manner that very few would have realized in the fact that you've been able to overcome this specifically that women, uh, I, I love when you spoke about how women should talk to their children in these types of relationship, that alone, because you're bringing up the next generation, that alone said much. And I think it, uh, it is, it is important that uh, within this book, you showed it is okay to forgive. It is okay to, to have had these things happen to you, but it's what you're going to do going forward. That's I right. think that is what's so important about uh, the book, because a lot of time resentment prevents people from getting a hell of a lot done. Exactly. Olivia, uh, you, you, by now you should know the, the last question that I asked because you did it before. <laughs> so what question should I have asked you that I didn't? Well, you know, I think you, for the time that we have, because as you can tell, I could go on forever, but um, I thought that you, <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me about the statistics related to fatherlessness. And um, I don't want to go into the numbers specifically right now, but, you know, as we go forward and, you know, I do different types of promotion for the book, the, the statistics related to fatherlessness in the United States are pretty horrific. Um, I speak mostly about girls because I am speaking about my experience, the statistics related to fatherlessness around the world are also very, very high. Um, unfortunately, I haven't seen any statistics relating to worldwide fatherlessness. And so the what we need to look at, I think I posted on my um, on my Facebook 
page the other day, a saying from someone named Bacha Khan, which is a was a, a well-known philosopher and a spiritual leader. And he says, you want to know about a society and how society is, look at how they treat their women. Because women, men are equally important, but there's something that women bring that that really cements what society is about. And so when we look at these statistics and we see that basically, and, and let me say this, I don't know how much time I have, but let me say this. Women sometimes, myself included, I'm sure I've had a time in my life where I said, uh, I can do this by myself. I don't care if he's here, if he's not here, uh, you know, all the things that people say. No, you can. It will be difficult. But you don't have to. And if it, and it would be better if you had a present father working with you. So the bottom line is that fatherlessness, absent fathers and everything related to that is a very important topic of the moment because it goes to what will happen to our society. And when I see the shows where men are having four or five children, leaving each mother and, you know, he's not present in any of the homes. I mean, what does that look like down the road? It's something we need to get a grip on. Olivia Benson, attorney Olivia Benson, for the love of my father. It's been my pleasure to have you in politics. Then, right. Thank you so kindly for having been here. Okay, great. Thank you again for having me. You can see me on Facebook, author Olivia S. Benson. I'm on, I'm on YouTube, Olivia S. Benson, Twitter, and Instagram. And my website is oliviasbenson.com. I'm Igberto Woolies, host of Politics Done Right, an independent news program. I post several news videos of interest every day. I ask you so kindly to subscribe to my channel and please leave me some comments. Thank you very much. Um, that's a good friend of mine from Panama and I wanted to put her on because I thought it's a book of substance and I think it is one that many need to know. And you know, politics covers everything, right? I hope you have sound now. Politics covers everything. Politics is not just the heavy duty things that we do, but it's just life in general. I want to address something that I saw here and thank you for that information, Bridge, about the, 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 the amount of households with single-parent single, single households. Thank you for pointing that out. But I want to answer Lee Grant. Lee Grant said something that touched me. And I think it bears... I'm trying to scroll to it. And if I don't find it, I'll just have to paraphrase it. But Lee Grant said um, uh, that progressives just want you to atone over pretty much he's saying all progressives want you to do is atone over and over again and i'm going to try to find that uh from lee grant okay lee grant says rudnan progressives require people to continually atone and suffer for all the sins of the past no that's not what progressives want Progressives want the acknowledgement that we know that we've sinned. Because if there's acknowledgement that we know we've sinned, we would have to think twice before sinning again. 
But if we don't acknowledge that it was in fact a sin, we're using sin while, you know, sort of loosely. What I mean is done an evil to people. Let, let's give an example. The fact that uh, folks can treat uh, black folks, minorities, etc., Native Americans, it's like they do, is not an acknowledgement that we we are we are sorry for the past. And I'm not saying that individually sorry, but as a people, sorry for what your people have done, because it's a necessary acknowledgement, because that hate, not not acknowledging that what they've done was wrong, not acknowledging that they considered you less than human inherently allows you to have that feeling of hate towards folks today. If everyone could acknowledge that all these bad things that were done in the past or in the past and now live the, the present and future, not having those sins of the past because you have acknowledged them, we wouldn't have the problems if also we would acknowledge that much of the lack of wealth in many communities are a direct result of systemic racism. You may not like to hear it, but if we bring in redlining, if we bring in the lack of being able to have equal education, if we bring in the lack of the GI Bill being disproportionately advanced, if we bring in that the farmer's bill didn't give the black farmers or the Latino farmers or the indigenous farmers their cut of the pie the way others got, money's not to grow. All these things are systemic. And if you can't acknowledge the lack of wealth that those systemic issues, those systemic forms of racism cause, if you can't acknowledge that, then you can't understand the predicament of many of people right now. So it's not that we want continual atonement and suffering. We want acknowledgement that you understand what has happened in the past is wrong. And if that were acknowledged, your kids, not necessarily you, because you may have muscle memory that is hard to bend, but your kids as many are right now, in fact, would immediately say, yes, those people of the past did wrong. This is not about individual guilt. This is about past guilt, acknowledgement, and doing what's necessary to atone for it, which does include reparations, which does include, look, women need reparations too. All right? And so if, if we're going to talk about making the, the, the field e even, minorities that were, that were discriminated must have reparation. Women, uh, we, we can find some calculated way to find why women need reparations. Why all, all these folks need reparations and there must be adjustments in society that fixes the advantage that those who were advantaged had. And you may say, oh, we don't need to do that. Well, when you are of the class that has gotten everything in, in that class, you can feel that way. But don't expect others to feel that way because they were aggrieved. When I look at Bill Gates, 
at, with, with the billions that he has and know that Bill Gates had all the avenues to, uh, to reach that. And I look at myself. Bill Gates, look, let, look, I'm not going to toot my horn here, but Bill Gates is no smarter than I am. Bill Gates is no smarter than Norman Reynolds is, another engineer in this, in this room is, uh, from a technical standpoint and programming standpoint. But he had the wherewithal, the capital, etc., where he could have attained that with zero, with zero. Many of us created without the ability to have Michael Dell. I went to school Michael Dell went to the same university that I went to. I came out of the university ahead of Michael, uh, of Michael Dell. When Michael Dell started PCs Limited in Austin, Texas and La on Lamar Boulevard, I used to drive down from Houston, Texas to PCs Limited on Lamar Boulevard in, in Austin, Texas and buy parts from Michael Dell. I built computers Michael Dell built computers. We all built computers from parts. He was about five years younger than me or something like that. I think, I think we overlapped one year in the university. I didn't know him at the University of Texas because that wasn't, you know, I didn't hang with those guys. But I, I think he was there. I, I don't know if we overlapped or not. But what I do know is while I was in Houston, I would drive down to Lamar Boulevard on, on, in Austin to buy all these parts from Michael Dell. And I remember opening PC Week one time. That was a, a rag that you that used to have all the PC parts and magazines and all of that. And I remember opening this mag and seeing PCs Limited turning into a corp and then eventually turning into Dell computers. And I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Both of us did what again? Build computers from parts from China, Taiwan, and all these other places. We were swapping parts. I mean, it's amazing. You know, when I tell people this story, half of them are like, I didn't know that. I, I, I would be like, look it up. Look it up. He was at my school. He was at PCs Limited on Lamar Boulevard. And I used to buy stuff from him. And I used to speak to Dell. And then he just suddenly explode. And again, we built, there are a lot of us that came out of UT in those days, Building, putting parts together to build computers when MS-DOS was nothing. And here's a funny thing about it. MS-DOS is crap, all right? We all used to look at the MS-DOS code that ran the PC, the PC saw, and like, my God, why did they use N14 here to do XYZ with the serial port and not put all these things in there? And it was like, but they made the money. IBM signed a license with, 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 um, with uh, Bill Gates who bought the software from a Seattle company who did CPM, okay, and paid them $50,000 and it was done. And then he made licensing fees for every single computer IBM sold. So he got rich out of a capitalist notion of a system while... The guy who sold the, the, the software to him sold it as a value. And when you see the way I talk about capitalism versus free enterprise, that's what I'm talking about, right? Bill Gates had little to do with the actual software that ran the PC that he got licensed for and became a millionaire off of. Very little. And that is the magic that I speak about all of the time. I always talk about those who create 
are not the ones who are rewarded in capitalism. And these are the classic examples. So, and, and the same happens to when we had slavery. Those who did the work were not rewarded. When we talk about women and, and what they meant to society, those who do the work are not rewarded in a capitalist society. Okay? So it is just, just, just amazing. So I hope, Lee Grant, you understand the difference or you choose to understand the difference because it is important. It is important that you understand that when we as progressive talk about atonement, we're not saying we want to whip you because of what your people did to us because you had no control over what your people did to us. You do have control over the wealth that your people gave to you based on what they did to us to make amends for that. It's not difficult to think about that because you do it all of the time. Insurance companies right now, when they find somebody that had aggrieved them, they go ahead and ask for reparations. Every corporation does that. I had a, a, a photo that I got from a free site years ago, years ago, a free site. I had this photo. Somebody came and made a claim on the photo and said, you need to give us X amount of dollars. Mike sees, I say, Egberto, you mean envy over those who succeeded. Uh, no, not envy over those who succeeded because my question is, why don't you feel disdain for those who succeeded by pilfering others? So, Max Sisak, do you feel disdain for those who succeeded on the backs of others? Do you feel disdain for those who use the intellect of others to succeed and those who develop the intellect get nothing? You see? And that's the thing. The slave mentality of yours, my dear brother, I'm sorry to put it that way, because I know who you are, Mike Cisak. You're a farmer that is pretty much left with nothing and not, and not realizing that the same people who screwed, who continue to screw us all are also screwing you as they make you believe falsely that progressives are responsible for it shows the problem that we have to go through something that Norman and I spoke about over the weekend, that folks like you are immutable. In other words, as long as folks continue to, to bask in their ignorance, we won't make progress. To which I told Norman, not everyone will be willing, as Mike Cisak and Eric Hayes and others are, to bask in their ignorance. And here Mike Cisak say, Egberto, I know how they got rich. They created a system that expanded the number of people they were able to serve. Wrong. They didn't expand it. Others expanded it and they capitalized on it. And that is the ignorance for which I speak about of what you say. You said, I, uh, they created a system. They did not create any system. The capitalist system has already been there that said, we can maximize the, our, our wealth on the backs of others. In other words, he bought a piece of software, he licensed a piece of software, he created nothing. 
That person who invented that software could have sold that software directly to IBM. And when he sold that software directly to IBM at, for that $50,000, IBM would not have had to indirectly charge every single one of us who bought a PC extra money to give Bill Gates who didn't develop the software. You see, this is why when I started this issue, it's when I sold a big a piece of my software for a lot of money to Boeing. And I felt so guilty when I sold that piece of software to Boeing because I made a lot of money on that software to Boeing. All of it's gone now, of course, because it is. But I made it. And the reason why I felt bad about it is I had to realize that the fact that Boeing had no problem giving me that money is because Boeing was going to go directly to every single person who buys a plane ticket or, uh, and they are going to pay me. The same thing occurs with Bill Gates. When Bill Gates says, I am not selling the $50,000 software to IBM, I'm licensing it. That means for every PC that IBM sold, they're suckering each of us who had to buy a PC with extra costs so that we can donate that money to Bill Gates' billions. It, you have to think. You have to think. And if you don't agree with that, it means that you are okay with being suckered. And that's the condition that we find ourselves in. Egberta, that software story is so funny because it said person doesn't do what you say it will. Um, huh? I don't know what you're talking about there. Uh, Grant says the algorithm to calculate reparations would be mind-boggling. Yes, but you know what we have now? Supercomputers, brother Grant. So it's maybe mind-boggling for the human mind. It's not mind-boggling because we could have all kinds of forms in which we could create reparations for women, for uh, Asians, for blacks, and all of that. So that what we do is equal, not equalize, but equal worth what has been taken away. It's imperative. Uh, Bridge wants me to calm down. She thinks my head, I'm going to blow a cap and my blood pressure is going to go up too high. So I will. Uh, you're not rich because you chose to be that way, Egberto. No, 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 no. I chose to be honest. I chose not to take advantage of people. I chose to be fair. Now, instead of, instead of looking at that, it, your, this system has allowed otherwise smart, otherwise moral people to, to support the immoral. Again, this system has allowed otherwise moral people to support the immoral. Michael says, conservatives in the chat are showing that they would choose to be rich dishonestly. And that's the case. You know, again, Rudnan, you, you read it perfectly so, Rudnan. What you're seeing is capitalism, uh, because it's defined so antiseptically has made antiseptic slavery vogue. Being people working and not being able to take advantage of their spoils. Think about it. And that is what we're to fight about. And listening to my folks here. Philanthropic organizations are fundamentally part of our society. They support media, arts, education, and so forth. 
NPR and Even Show is supporting many personal and family foundations, but it wasn't always that way. In this episode, we go back to the beginning, the Gilded Ages. We trace the birth of the evolution. But I, I tell you something about big philanthropy. I am not even into philanthropy, like care about philanthropy. Because remember this, Bill Gates is giving away all, most of his money. And so is uh, Warren Buffett. But they are giving it away. The money. They are singularly deciding undemocratically how their excess worth stolen from others will be distributed and then call it philanthropic or we are nice guys we took the money from you and then we decide how to give it away as opposed to the elected bodies that we elect decide what we do with our spoils it's a different thought process and over the decades and decades and decades we have been programming the minds of americans not to believe in democracy because what we do philanthropically is undemocratic. Because we've given, we've, you, philanthropists get their money from the wealthy. The wealthy get the money from the abuse of the masses and then decide how to return that money to the masses. I think that's a problem. I don't know about you, but I do think that is a problem. Anyhow, we are getting up close to time. So let me ask you so kindly to support our show. Uh, you can support our show simply by going ahead. Let's see. Michael Rundin, conservatives in the chat, you need to go watch uh, Wolf on Wall Street. You might come out a better person afterward. Uh, yep, 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 yep. All right, let's go ahead and uh, ask everybody. I'm, sure, I'm just going to put one link in there because I don't think, I think if everybody just had one link, it would be simpler. Please go to politicsunright.com and find some method in which to support the program. Uh, our podcast is growing. Uh, our podcast at anchor.fm, both on Spotify and all these other places, are growing. And a lot of times that's the reason why you hear me talk things through. So it, it, it is important for you to support us being able to continue to do this. So please go to politicsdoneright.com slash support politicsdoneright.com slash support to support this program. As you can see, we don't necessarily only say things that you want to hear, but we try to give things a better context in such a manner that we can all be better people, fairer people, more egalitarian in a manner that supports us all. So please go to politicsdoneright.com slash support. Uh, Egberto, if you decided to give your software away once, and limit your income, and someone else decided to license their software over and over, make $1 per license, then uh, then you can become rich. No, 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 no. I do license software, and I have... Bridge MCP, thank you so kindly for our super chat. Thank you so kindly for the super chat, Bridge MCP. Um, let me tell you, um, Mike, I'm glad that you wrote it that way. I do license my software, but I, I, or I used to license. I don't, you know, my software is now done by... Um, software innovations uh but here is here's what um what i'll say to that i license it just like you said a dollar per license etc that's what i do put the licensing fee at a very small price persuasive barrier thank you so kindly pure character cheerfully blowing a party horn thank you my brother appreciate you very much persuasive barrier for your support um so it's important important important, important, that uh, that 
you know, those of us who develop software can make income. There's no doubt about that. It's not, you know, all of us, that's what, that's how an economy works. What I talk about is the excess and what Bill Gates did with MS-DOS towards IBM. I think while everybody look at it as genius, I look at it as one of the largest swindle that had enriched a person and it, and it shows. And it's not only Bill Gates, it's, it's Jeff Bezos, it's all of them. I gave you guys a story about developing one, one click on, on um, Amazon. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of things, those of us in, those, in that time, that, that was a time when all these creations were being made. The internet was new. So all of us were trying things. You had Jeff Bezos took over one click, license one click. How can you license software? You had Bill Gates taking software from somebody else and putting it somewhere else. You had the book guy. I mean, you had the, uh, the uh, what's his name? All of us were into this stuff. You know, I did software at NASA, working on some of these issues. All of these, in the 90s was a hell of a time, I can tell you that. A hell of a time. And those who made it were the ones who had, were willing to devalue their morals. Anyway, got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this. Baby, I am what? We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.